Hi there guys and welcome to today's live stream. We're going to be talking about pins and needles, particularly in the lower body. So we're talking about the legs and the feet and the toes with reference to lower back pain. We're going to go through what it is, what might be causing it, a few things for you guys to think about as well. And then at the end of the video, we'll get into our Q&A. So if you've got your questions, Lara is the other side of the mic and she, and the camera as well, and she's going to take those questions down and we'll get into those at the end. So hopefully we can help you better understand this and other areas of your back pain as well. If you're new to the channel, as always, please do consider subscribing we do these live streams every single weekday if you're watching this after the fact and you've missed out the live then hit the notification bell so you know next time we go live and you can get on and maybe ask us a question about your back pain and get a little bit of support too so with that being said we'll get into today's live stream Okay guys, we're gonna be talking about the pins and needles and including numbness. And I wanted to kick this off because we get a lot of patients come in and I've got numbness here, numbness there, etc. And we're talking about uh, sort of generated from the lower back. I'm gonna go a bit off piece uh, later on in today's live stream and talk about a few other causes of potential paresthesia, uh, but we'll get to those a little bit later. The first thing I wanted to address was numbness. And quite often patients will say, uh, you know, uh, my leg is numb, etc. And the reason I wanna make this distinction is if you guys when you're going to see your doctor, your GP, your, uh, your osteopath, chiro, physio, if you can be a little bit more specific with this, it'll help them help you more, which is really important. So when we think of numbness, you might numb an area if you're about to have surgery, completely remove the feeling from that area so you're not aware of what's going on. Uh, and that is very different to what we would call altered sensation. So patients will often say this area is numb and it's a case of can you feel it? Can, is, is it completely dead to the touch? implying that the nerves have completely stopped working and that's a lot more serious? Or is it that it feels weird, it feels strange? Maybe it's not pins and needles, but it just feels different. And that clarification point is really, really important because it helps us as a practitioner better understand what degree of damage do we have in that area? Because we have some people where they can't feel it. You could hit it with a hammer and they wouldn't feel anything there. But in most cases, it's more of an altered sensation. So that little distinction is really, really important. Now. When we get onto the pins and needles that we're thinking about, uh, sort of in the title of this video, we're talking more about the paresthesia. So we'll park numbness to the side a little bit, although these terms do tend to get interchanged with one another from a patient point of view. Um, the main two ways we're gonna get this paresthesia is, is, is blocking off of the blood vessels, number one, which I'll go through first. And then there's the nerves. And the nerves, obviously, we'll talk a little bit about the spine when we go through that. So the blood vessels, very, very simple. We've all been there, maybe we've been uh, reading in bed, so our pecs are compressing. Uh, some of the blood vessels that come out and go down the arms and our hands get a bit tingly and, and, and pins and needlesy. Or we've been sat on a long car journey, one leg crossed over the other, and we've cut off the femoral artery, which comes through the groin here, and the leg goes to sleep so to speak. And when we shake it out, we get up, we move around, get that circulation back into the area, we're gonna find that actually the, the, tings, the tingling and the pins and needles is gonna go away. And with the leg, obviously, if you've been sat there for a long period of time with one leg crossed over, well, firstly, you'll know that's not particularly good for your lower back. So ladies, you're a little bit more guilty of this than guys, although some guys do habitually do it as well uh, in a slightly different way. Um, so that's important, stop doing that. Um, but if you can shake it out, you're gonna, you're gonna have the reassurance that it's 
highly likely that it is a vascular uh, cause, which is much, much, much easier to deal with. We just stop blocking the artery by putting our legs in those funny positions. And you can cut off circulation in a number of different ways, but it's not going to generally be a serious thing. You move out of that precarious position and you're going to be fine. The one that bothers people a lot more is going to be the nervous one. And that's where, for example, there's a little bit of a disc bulge down the bottom here at the 4-5, and that's pressing on this little nerve. And now the big turtle, actually, let's go down the L5S1, it's irritating that nerve. And now all of a sudden the big toe is just on fire or we've got a little, a different nerve and we've got this area of the outside of the shin becomes uh, sort of like there's people often describe it as either tingling, burning sort of sensation down there. And that's where the nerve is being irritated. And again, we can take mechanical pressure off there, but if it's down to excess inflammation, which I'll talk about later with this drawing down here, then it, there might be a few other things that we need to do. So we'll come back to the nerve one. And just while we're going through this, make sure you do, if you've got any questions, get those in the comments below, because we're gonna try and do a little bit more Q and A on today's live stream, because this topic, we can cover it reasonably. So so I want to take a little bit of a tangent away from those mechanical causes, just to a few little areas to consider as well, because these are really, really simple ones and will help uh, potentially you avoid something that maybe doesn't need to be concerned about. So the first one we've got is diabetes, which he says not be concerned about and then go straight to diabetes. If we have more severe levels of diabetes, then you can get something called Glovenstocking uh, distribution or, or paresthesia neuropathy. And that's where we start to lose the sensation in the fingertips and it goes up like a glove and the same thing in the feet up the, up the legs. And this has problems because you can't feel if you've injured that area, you do really lose sensation there. And that is a form of vascular damage. And what happens is we've got our nerves and our nerves, like a little tube like that and obviously they, they they work the way they work and around those we have these little blood vessels these are tiny tiny blood vessels that supply those nerves with nutrition etc and the ingredients they need to function effectively in atp which is the energy unit and those tiny blood vessels get damaged and they get damaged in the distances furthest from the heart and that's what can cause the numbness in the fingers and toes and because our toes tend to be further away than our arms just because of the length of the the limb uh, we tend to find that it's numbness in the toes that begins first but that is a general the furthest point from the body and it just moves up the body over time and, and you'll know you'll be at risk of this if you've got sort of ongoing diabetes so for most people it's not going to be applicable but i just thought i'd touch on that one today because you will get that pins and needles and tingling in those particular areas now We've also got potassium and sodium. Why is this important? If we've got deficiencies in these, our nerves cannot function correctly. A lot of people tend to shy away from salt and we don't want excess salt for obvious reasons. However, too little salt affects the way in which our nerves function. And we do want to consider these things as well because the way in which a nerve functions, I've drawn out that little tube down the bottom here. You have potassium and sodium, one of them inside and one of them outside. And when a, when a signal transmits along a nerve, they swap and then we reset the nerve by swapping them back again. So if we don't have adequate levels of sodium and potassium, the process, the functioning of the nerves, you don't have the materials in there to actually allow those nerves to function, which can then result in problems with the nerves, pins and needles and tingling. That's independent of any sort of back issue. So that's worth bearing in mind. Then we've got calcium. Calcium is one that's just, just involved in, in absolutely everything. It's it basically what's called a cofactor. It's used uh, to help certain mechanisms function, and that includes the nerves, it includes muscles, and a number of other things. So being deficient in calcium, and then finally B12. And you can very easily check your B12 levels by getting a blood test. 
Um, and it's something that you do get from time to time. We have patients that have had uh, B12 tests been rather deficient and then they supplement the B12 and lo and behold, everything goes away from the point of view of the numbness and they're fine. Important thing to note, too much B12 as well can lead to issues. So it needs to be in a mid-range like other uh, supplements. Too low is bad, but also too high is bad as well. And that's true of supplements and hormones uh, in particular. So we want to bear that in mind. But those are the sort of non-back-related uh, causes or potential causes of pins and needles. Uh, so we want to bear those in mind. And a good diet should generally be able to manage both of those or all of those, including the diabetes. If you're eating well, etc., and you don't have diabetes, we don't want to get it. So let's keep, keep healthy uh, as, as, as much as we can. Now, if we come back to this question here, which is a really um, important question that we want to ask patients in clinic. Does it fluctuate? If you've got those pins and needles in the big toe or the shin or the leg in some area, some pattern, some distribution, does it fluctuate on a daily basis? Now, a lot of people on the first instance will say, no, it's always there. But then it'll be, oh, well, it's always there when I'm standing up. But when I sit down, it changes. Or when I lie down, it goes a little bit. And that's a good sign. If there's a mechanical nature or mechanical movements can influence this, maybe make it worse, then that is really useful diagnostic information because it helps us understand that maybe this is coming from a particular area that is associated with those changes in position. So for example, what you often find is people when they sit down, uh, it may get better. And that might be because when they sit down first, as they go to sit down, that position, that happens. The sitting position opens up some of these nerve spaces in the back here and takes pressure off that nerve and therefore eases the symptoms. But then as soon as they stand up again, it comes back or after prolonged sitting, it then comes back again. So although sitting is, is initially increases the space down there, when they're sat for long periods because it's making the problem worse, that's an issue. The other, the other scenario is that lying down can often take pressure off the spine and therefore the numbness, the tingling, the pins and needles, that starts to abate as well. So understanding all these different ways in which the symptoms can vary is really important in piecing together an understanding of what might be really causing the problem. And that brings us lastly to this lovely drawing of a ruptured disc. So we've got here, we've got the big black thing is the uh, nerve being squashed by the protruding disc, which is being squashed by gravity. And you might be able to just about make out these uh, orange little dots here, and that's just sort of representing the inflammation there. And what's happened in this person here, or this drawing, is that the compression from day in, day out activities has led to the failure of the disc, and it is irritating the nerve. And this really ties into that last thing I was mentioning about the movement. If we lie this person down, gravity comes off, the disc retracts a little bit and the pressure comes off that nerve and lo and behold, the symptoms change. They reduce perhaps a little bit. Now there are other, there are other confounding variables that could affect this. It could mean that that's not quite so. Maybe the symptoms change when you lie down because certain muscle tensions are pulling the spine in different ways and therefore changing the space here in a different way. But that's getting into a little bit too much complication for a live stream. So we won't go into too much detail there. But essentially, if we can take pressure off this particular area, then the disc bulge is not going to be pressing on the nerve and therefore the symptoms will often abate. And that gives you that indication that actually this problem with my spine, maybe it's an L5S1 disc bulge like we've discussed earlier. 
that is what's putting pressure on the nerve. That's why I've got the pins and needles. And we need to target that area rather than pins and needles in the foot in order to actually get resolution of the problem. And if we know that it fluctuates day in, day out, and we know that it's not completely numb to why we cannot feel the toe, then we know there's a very good sign that we can actually resolve some of this, this, uh, this, this pins and needles, this paresthesia for the long term and actually get rid of that sensation, that, that altered sensation altogether. That's one thing that really bothers a lot of people. Am I ever going to get rid of this? Well, we need to understand what's causing it in the first instance. And that, that that's how things like the movement, things like blood vessels, nerve vessels, nerves, understanding which is which, what's causing it, can really help you guys get to the bottom of what's causing this numbness. And then if it is fluctuating, we can make changes to the anatomy, help this area heal, help reduce the inflammation because the extra inflammation can also irritate the nerve and therefore resolve that pins and needles uh, in a little bit more of a complete way. So last thing before we get into Q&A was just a little tip for you guys. A lot of people make the mistake of using heat over the lower back. And you guys, if you're in our Back and Shape membership site or you've tuned into a number of our live streams before, you'll know our approach to this. Don't use heat over your back. It's not helpful. It feels nice. The same way standing in a warm shower feels nice. It always will feel nice. It always has feel, felt nice. Don't misattribute the fact that warm water on your body feels nice with it helping your back pain. Invariably, it's going to make this concept worse. So using icing on your lower back will help at least address the inflammatory issue, the excess inflammation building up in this area. And we normally say three to five times at the end of your phase one routine, as many of you will already know. So with that, we're going to Q&A. Okay, brilliant. Good morning, everybody. Um, before we get into q and I just want to remind everyone, uh, today is the last day uh, that you yes. can enter the draw for the competition for the- uh, For the, the vibration unit, yep. Um, so yes, instructions, I'll place them in the comments uh, below. And yeah, we'll be announcing the winner tomorrow. Yeah, so it's on the YouTube channel. So if you're watching, I know a lot of you guys watch this on Facebook, uh, but hit the link uh, somewhere underneath here after the video. Uh, Lara put the, the, the link the link in the in comments, the comment section yeah. and you guys can all you have to do is subscribe to the channel like the video and put a little comment on two topics that you'd like us to cover in some of our future live streams okay brilliant so karen has asked uh i think you may have covered this how long does it usually take for these pins and needles uh, to subside once you start treating it and will you get faster results uh, having treatment or doing the exercise at home or both um, so the last is, is always best. So with from, from a research point of view, when it comes to back pain um, of any sort, with or without this paresthesia, this pins and needles, all of the research without fail always shows treatment X plus rehabilitation at home always gets better results than um, no treatment or than no treatment with no exercise. Back pain is a problem that people have at home and people, it's a problem with weight bearing, load bearing. We can't put your, your your spine in a little test tube. We can't take, you know, it's like you can't take the car, take the car to the garage and leave it there for six weeks while they repair whatever's wrong or two weeks or whatever it may be. You have to live with your back every day. So the rehab is so important. It has to go alongside treatment. Yes, treatment can help um, and it helps that healing process because there's things that you can't do. We kind of touched a little bit yesterday on the treatments that we do in the Mayfair Clinic and what they what they do, things like the IDD decompression uh, and the laser, et cetera. And how the back in shape stuff does kind of emulate a lot of those things but again it, it's not as good as a very expensive piece of kit that we have in the clinic um to, 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 be, to be to be brutally honest so treatment is really helpful in terms of how long does it take for these things to resolve it depends on the problem um if it's a minor if it's a minor strain of some of the discs and we haven't got bulging like i've drawn in that image behind me we've just got a little bit of inflammation these sorts of things can settle down within a week or so 
with the right rehabilitation, with the right treatment and with the right homework and avoidance of, of making it worse. But if we've got things like a, a raging disbulge, maybe it's a, a substantial disbulge like the sort of thing you saw on the on the image behind me. Maybe we've got some spinal misalignment and maybe we've we've got a, a very flat spine. We've lost the lordosis, so we're driving more pressure through those discs every day. And maybe we've got a job where we have to sit for 12 hours a day. It's going to take a little bit longer. So we have to factor all those things in. And that's why understanding the problem, understanding what makes the problem worse, and then superimposing that information on this individual's lifestyle. Are you working in a school and you're working with, with younger kids and you're down on your knee all the time or bending down to get on their level? All of these sorts of things need to be considered when we're looking at the recovery process. And mainly because quite often it's like, oh, well, it's a disc problem or you know, we can get that resolved uh, pretty quickly. Um, but then we have to consider what actions are you unavoidably taking on a daily basis and that is going to impact on the speed of recovery as well as how easy do you find some of these exercises what's your competence on these exercises are they easy or are you really struggling with them okay perfect uh, let's continue on with all the questions um, Alison said I find that dangling from my pull-up bar letting my hips and my legs be weightless uh, almost completely resolves the paresthesia in my buttocks and thighs so that's a disc problem yeah very very simply um is, is that is that is that safe would you recommend so it? so generally if you're hanging from 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 the pull-up bar it's a little bit strong from for my liking but if you're doing it for a moment or two it, it's okay you want to bear in mind if you dismount you have to dismount effectively so what i normally say is if you've got like um uh you know the, the corner around a door you can hang and just drop your heels a little bit so you're still stood on the floor and that way you can dismount. If you're hanging like, and you have to then drop onto the floor, a lot of guys do this in the gym, they'll get a pull-up bar that's, you know, you have to jump up to get onto it and then just hang and then drop themselves down. Ooh, going yeah. going from, from minus gravity or, or, or zero gravity to everything coming back on can be difficult. So you want to be careful on the dismount, definitely. Um, I suggest use the towel exercise. Do the towel exercise properly. That's going to help you. It helps you in a, in a, in a correct way in terms of it helps with, with the bend in the spine, which is really, uh, really cool. And uh, it's just a little bit more relaxing and easy to dismount from. Um, okay. So something worth bearing in mind. Awesome. I'm sure Alex is definitely doing the, uh, the towel. And also, I think if, uh, <laughs> if we're talking about the... Uh, um, Alex, who I think it is, then um, yeah, we did a we did a video in the Facebook group uh, for using a chair, your office chair. So when you're sat in the car uh, or in the office, you can actually just press down on your on your armrests and just lift yourself up, and it's a little bit more of a safer way of you sort of doing it whilst you're working. Okay, awesome. Uh, Veronica has said over the years I've experienced uh, uh, tingling similar to an electric shock across my stomach area when touched. I have always thought that it is to do with my back, even though my back isn't troubling me at the time. Why is this, please? It depends where exactly in the tummy it's going from, because if it's a little bit higher up, say above the umbilical cord, it could potentially be more associated with the lower thoracic spine and irritating some of the rib joints. If it is a little bit lower down, sort of below where the umbilical cord, I don't know why I'm saying umbilical cord, you're a fully grown adult, it's <laughs> your belly button, okay? Um, under your belly button, and it may well be a little bit more related to that lower back. Um, yeah. Okay, um, yeah, let us know. And, and also bear in mind, you don't have to have back pain. Um, maybe, maybe some of you guys watching this now will be able to comment in the, in the comments below. Some people have the tingling with no pain at all. So it's not necessary that you have to have back pain it can be that those particular nerves that were gonna, are going to signal your brain that your back's in pain aren't necessarily being influenced by this problem and you just have tingling. 
Maybe it's in the big toe. Maybe it's maybe it's for example in the tummy. Maybe it's it's just a bit of numbness, or maybe the muscle's completely gone. I know some of the guys in back and shape have a few have a few issues where I you know it's not painful, but this muscle doesn't work. I can't use it, and that's that that can really throw people, especially when we tend to talk about these problems because we know it's coming from the back. Uh, we just say, "Oh, your back problem, your back problem, your back problem." And you go, "But I don't have any back pain." It's my leg. My leg yeah. doesn't work and yeah. it's not painful. It just doesn't work. And that sometimes creates a bit of conflict in the mind of the patient and the mind of the practitioner because you are already doing all the stuff in your head to, to understand that the leg is related to the back, but you're not necessarily communicating that with the patient. So the patient doesn't isn't uh, party to your thoughts. So it's worth clarifying those things. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I don't necessarily have back pain, but when I do deadlifts in the gym, I get that very strange. It's not even painful. It's just I notice that it's an electric shock from of my knee going down to my ankle yeah um i don't have back pain but i get that every time i do a heavy ish deadlift so um right i'll, I'll move on to uh, another question uh, so genie's asked here i get pins and needles after walking for 10 minutes um will i do damage to the nerve if i keep going or should i stop what i generally do in those sorts of scenarios is stick to that 10 minute period and as you get improvement and you start to get your body stronger so you're going through maybe the phase two of the back in shape and you're getting your body a little bit stronger. Maybe once a week or once a fortnight, test the walk again. And also check because um, I was on the phone with someone the other day um, or a comment, they kind of all blend into one, patients, back in shape members and, and, and these, these talks as well. Um, it was going down a hill at the back end of a walk. That's it, it was on a call. Um, down at the back end of a walk. When we walk downhill, Okay, and this could just be a coincidence of the walking downhill. When you walk downhill, you have to backward bend to counterbalance. When you walk uphill, we have to forward bend to counterbalance. Not very good for the discs, but also when walking downhill and we're backward bending, which you have to do, otherwise you're going to fall over, you make this hole smaller. So is it the fact that that circuit that you're maybe walking, the back end of it maybe is downhill and you're leaning backwards a little bit and that's compressing them. We want to we want to remove any possible um, sort of conflicting information that's giving us false false information. So test it out on a completely flat route to see if you get the same symptoms, the same sensation. These little bits of uh, exploratory sort of uh, self-testing are, are really, it's perfectly safe to do that, to walk on the flat instead of a hill. But thinking about these things can really help. And obviously you guys, because you're not dealing with this on a daily basis from a treatment point of view and, and and the same way we as clinicians are um there's not that those additional things to think about but they can really help and, and questions like that help us impart that those those tests to you guys yeah for sure um it, it might also be worth um when she when she goes in gets back home after water jumping on that towel because it's every yeah everyone so there's a general advice that's should be done for everyone um just because she's she's mentioned am i damaging the nerve if i keep going is it more the disc than actually the nerve so you're looking to unload that disc when you get back home. you're, you're looking to unload the discs and yeah. unload the spine to give it a bit of a break okay. you don't want to be doing it repetitively for long periods but with symptoms it's, it's highly unlikely that you're causing any permanent damage especially if we're sitting around that 10 minute continue doing your back in shape exercises doing your rehab test it but don't go oh it hurts for 10 minutes so i'm going to walk for an hour to see what happens that's a little bit too extreme we're talking about maybe try 15 minutes another thing you want to test uh, is engaging the core yes that's a walking. that's a really big one yeah. yeah engage the core to see if it turns it off because what happens often especially people that don't have the core strength the midsection strength and it starts to come on after the walk after a period of walking is that things are failing to hold everything together and inflammation is building up in that area and if we can learn to re-engage that core periodically through that walk and provide a bit of stability to 
hold everything together, you might also find you can push the boat out to 12 minutes without actually getting the symptoms, which indicates that the inflammation isn't building up on a, to a suitable level in order to give you the symptoms. So other things to test. Walking, check on, check you're not walking downhill, engage your core, and as always, do the towel exercise in the icing when you get in. Brilliant. Um, Alex has, uh, has asked, why does my neurosurgeon insist on a trial of... Uh, neuropathic uh, painkillers before considering surgery uh, you'll, he's also said the towel is awesome I also do the chair I, I have no back pain it's only sciatica so this is that's actually a really good point with reference to the last question because mm -hmm. you've there got a neurosurgeon who knows exactly what he's doing about nerve or, or he knows he knows a lot about nerves how they function and he's saying that he feels comfortable enough to tell you to just numb the feeling to those nerves by giving you this neuropathic pain medication and carry on so that kind of goes back to the last question, am I going to do any damage? Well, you've got a surgeon here recommending taking, basically block the pain out from your brain and crack on. So he's obviously not worried about it from that point of view, you know, or it's not a concern in his mind. Whether, whether I think that's necessarily the best approach, I think in our opinion, I wouldn't be just taking painkillers and cracking on through it because you don't have the feedback in terms of what's actually going on in your body. But um, that's a really good, second question that kind of answers the first question almost yeah is, is it a fine line you don't want to be taking those kind of pain blocking painkillers um and, and aggravate the problem keep doing those bad things to make it worse but in a way you maybe do want to be taking the painkillers to allow you to do the rehab properly to begin to strengthen yeah so it's about it's about it, the full package would be uh, you know the neurosurgeon or the practitioner or us saying to you guys look i want you to take this painkiller we don't we don't advocate them but saying look i accept that you can't do anything without taking the painkillers but we know exactly what's going on in your back you've got maybe a disc bulge or a spondylolisthesis we know it's there but we know that these exercises are going to be okay for that and therefore the pain is just stopping you from being able to do something that you need to be able to do so in that scenario take the painkillers get the exercises done and that's generally how a lot of the um the the prescribing physicians will use painkillers they will say look i know that you need to do your rehab because it's safe for you so take these painkillers so you can get enough momentum with the rehab for the next four weeks and then hopefully you've made enough progress to stop re-injuring yourself on a daily basis and we can wean you off the painkillers that's how they generally approach it the problem is they don't go through the rehab and impart you guys with the support and the knowledge to know what they're thinking. Again, because you've got limited time in a lot of cases. You can't tell, tell someone everything. They don't necessarily impart you with that story that I've just told you. So you don't necessarily feel comfortable. As a general rule, I generally try, if you can't sleep, and we say this in the back in shape, uh, even in the phase one stuff, straight out the gate. Um, if, you, if you're struggling to sleep, sleep is really important. That's when your body heals. So take painkillers if you need to, to get to sleep. But generally during the day, if you're gonna, if you wanna go on like a, a you know, a 60K cycle, or if you wanna go and build a wall, whatever it may be, it's only cause Matt's doing his thing, uh -huh. um, and build a wall, don't take painkillers so you can do that. That's that's not a good idea, uh, but if you need them to sleep or you need them to do your rehab, sometimes it is it is a necessary step. Okay, perfect. Um, Alex said, awesome answer. Thank you, uh, Richard on YouTube said, I missed a bit of the live stream today. Great content. Uh, interesting. Thank you. to see the other causes of numbness. Worth checking those off. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think we did a we did a little live stream a little while ago about uh, about taking blood tests and things like that, and it's something that that, that we both do uh, on an annual basis, in spite of hating doing the needle stuff um and i think it's worthwhile knowing your own body and you know something like b12 you know these things can flag up and it's so easy or vitamin d so easy to just supplement them 
if you're if you're deficient absolutely okay brilliant um i think that uh that's all the questions for today awesome Fun. well thanks so much for joining us guys on today's live stream hopefully you found the questions helpful i know there were some really really nice ones really yeah, uh, different brilliant. ones at the back end of uh, of that q a session so hopefully you found it helpful if you are new to the channel please do consider subscribing if you do find these helpful and you don't want to miss out on the next one hit the notification bell to make sure that you're up to date and you get notified when we go live generally it's in the morning around about 8 45 9 a.m so hopefully you won't miss the next one and just a little reminder at the very end uh the competition for the venom that one there is going to be and the winner is going to be announced tomorrow so make sure if you do want to enter that then hit the uh link that lara's posted in this description here and go ahead and, and, and do the necessary steps subscribe to the youtube channel like the video and uh, and two topics uh for us and we will announce that tomorrow so until then have a great afternoon and we will see you tomorrow with another live stream thanks so much for joining us on today's video hopefully you found it packed full of useful information if you want to learn more about the premium back in shape membership there's going to be a video somewhere underneath here and if you want to stay up to date or tune into some of our more recent live streams and the q a's at the end of those then that's going to be down here and remember you can subscribe to the channel up here and hit the notification bell to make sure you know when we next go live so you can join us for our next live stream and q a